James chapter 5. If you've been hanging with us for these weeks, you know that we are wrapping up the book of James. And we are in chapter 5, verses 7 through 11. And you also know that James has been writing about many of the difficulties and many of the things that the early church had to go through. And he has been telling the early church over and over and over again different ways that you can make it through these difficult moments. What we need to do in order to develop the character in order that we, and what James talks about this week, persevere through those difficult moments, through those difficult challenges. In James chapter 5, verses 7 through 11, it says this. Therefore, be patient, brethren, until the coming of the Lord. The farmer waits for the precious produce of the soil, being patient about it until it, until it gets the early and late rains. You too be patient. Strengthen your hearts, for the coming of the Lord is near. Do not complain, brethren, against one another, so that you yourselves may not be judged. Behold, the judge is standing right at the door. As an example, brethren, of suffering and patience, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. We count those blessed who endured. You have heard of the endurance of Job and have seen the outcome of the Lord's dealings, that the Lord is full of compassion and is merciful. What we know through going through what we have in the book of James is we know that the early church had storms. We know that the early church was dealing with a lot of persecution for what they believed in. We know in just the last portion of Scripture that we talked about that the rich were persecuting the church. We know that the church was scattered, as it says in James, because of the way that they were being treated and beaten and even killed because of their beliefs in Jesus Christ. And finally, we know, as we read in this portion of Scripture, that the church itself began to implode, right? People started to do things within the church because of all the pressure, because of the storm that was around them, and they really began to act crazy. And they began to bicker and complain and bite at each other's heels. And so James says, really, quick in this scripture, what you have to do is, the first thing he says is, be patient. So the first of the ways that we're going to talk about of how to persevere in the storms of life, how to persevere in those moments when the world is just crushing down around you is, you have to be patient. It is absolutely against everything that we're taught to be, right? Being patient. Now I have to tell you that One of the things that they teach you in Bible college is you never tell a story about your wife in a sermon. Right, Jeff? Never, you don't go there. You don't tell a story about your wife because there's nothing good that can happen from that. Right? Nothing good. So I'm going to tell a story briefly, honey. But I want to preface that by saying that I love you and it really has nothing to do with you. When we talk about patience, my mother and father-in-law were over at the house today. I'm just going to cut you out of the story because, you know, why, why even bring you up? Yeah, but we're going to throw you out. Everyone, complete, it's like, what, what is that movie where they shoot the little thing and no one remembers what happened? What is it? Click? No. Men in Black. That's the one. That just happened, honey. No one even remembers. But my mother and father-in-law 
were over, and I asked my father-in-law, where does the impatience come from in this family? And he said, actually, it comes from my dad. My dad was, you know, impatient like that and was always screaming and yelling, everybody get there, and you got to get there quick and do everything quick. I don't have the impatience problem. Matter of fact, my problem is I may have too much patience, and some even begin to describe that as procrastination. I don't know anything about that. I just think I'm a very patient person. But we always are screaming at people to hurry up, right? Grocery stores now have to self-checkout because we don't want to wait in line for the checkout lady to have to scan my product. I will scan my own product, and it takes longer. We have been known to honk every now and then. Any of you guilty of honking? Any of you honkers? Kim, really? You honky honker. We have been known to give the finger, right? We've been known. That's right. You're number one. We need it now. We don't want to wait, right? We invented the credit card so we don't have to wait and save. I want it now. Let me tell you something. I want worse than anything in the world right now. I want a scooter. I've convinced my wife. I told my wife, honey, we will save $338 according to the calculations a month if I drive my scooter and I don't drive my car. Because the scooter gets 100 miles to the gallon. Do you not understand that? But there's a little quotation. I haven't told my wife this. That those miles per gallon are based on how much you weigh. And I am very close to exceeding the weight limit on the scooter. Very close. So although it may be 100, for me, probably close 70 75, just saying. Putting that out there. This, we're not even going to go there. We're not even going to go there. That's right. But the worst verse in the Bible for impatient people, does anybody know what it is? The worst verse in the Bible for impatient people is 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 8. Don't overlook the obvious here, friends. With God... One day is a thousand years, right? Which makes you think, if I only live to be like 80 or 90, my life is like a really quick blink in the eyes of God, right? So just how important is my big old problem that I have on my shoulders to God? Let's continue. Don't overlook the obvious here, friends, with God. One day is as good as a thousand years, a thousand years as a day. And here is where it gets really good. God isn't late with his promise, as some measure lateness. God isn't late with his promise, as some measure lateness. What happens is, is we are extremely impatient, We think that God has to solve the problem that's happening in my life right now. And so we begin to waver in our foundation, and we begin to waver in our faith. And what James is saying here is simple. Understand that Noah was 600 years old when God called him to build the ark. 600, right? Mentally, we think, well, God called Noah. He was like 40, right? He was 600 years old. Sarah 
was 90 years old when God finally gave her the child that he promised her. David, anointed by Samuel as the next king, had to wait 20 years until God made it so. And we know the story of David. There were some crazy years in there, right? Where he had some storms that he had to go through too. Our timetable is but a blink in the eye of God. It's hard to comprehend. It's hard to understand. And really, for a lot of us, we don't even want to believe it. <laughs> I want it to happen now. Romans chapter 8, verses 23 through 25 says, All around us we observe a pregnant creation. The difficult times of pain throughout the world are simply birth pains. But it's not only around us, it's within us. The Spirit of God is arousing us from within. We're also feeling the birth pains. These sterile and barren bodies of ours are yearning for full deliverance. That's why waiting does not diminish us any more than waiting diminishes a pregnant mother. We are enlarged in the waiting. We, of course, don't see what is enlarging us, but the longer we wait, the larger we become, and the more joyful our expectancy. This is a cool way to look at it, isn't it? If we are in the right spiritual mindset. In that patience becomes the creation of what God is going to do in our lives. Every moment we have to wait for God to act is another moment where God is birthing in us this amazing thing that he's going to do. And while we sit there impatiently and say, it's got to happen now, it's got to happen now, it's got to happen now, while I pray in my bedroom at my bed and say, God, how come we don't have 1,200 people yet in our church? Because... I'm pretty sure you told me if I planted a church, you would give me a mega church. That's what I heard anyway, right? But all of our situations are different. We're all in different crises in our life. And God says, every moment you wait on me, know this. I am creating a mighty movement through you. And it is not in the waiting that our faith is diminished Isaiah chapter 30, verse 18 says, but God's not finished. I love this. He's waiting around to be gracious to you. He's gathering strength to show you mercy. God takes the time to do everything right. Everything. Those who wait around for him are what? Right? James says, first of all, we have to be patient. Second of all, James says, you have to strengthen your heart. You have to strengthen your heart. To really persevere through difficult times, you have to strengthen your heart. You have to prepare yourself ahead of time for what is coming. Because I don't know if you know this or not, I have found this out in my life. Maybe you haven't gotten there yet, but there's some bumps in the road, right? There's some bumps in the road. Bill Heibel says this, every single day we make choices that show whether we are courageous or cowardly. We choose between the right thing and the convenient thing, sticking to a conviction or caving in for the sake of comfort, greed, or approval. We choose either to take a carefully thought out risk 
or to crawl into a shrinking shell of safety, security, and inactivity. We choose either to believe in God and trust Him, even when we do not always understand His way, or we choose to second-guess Him and cower in the corners of doubt and fear. The reason we have to strengthen our hearts is because most often when these moments come to us, the first thing we do is doubt, the second thing we do is get scared, and the third thing we do is cower. God didn't really call me to do that. God's not really asking me to do, go through this situation that I'm going through right now. Right? And we doubt what it is that God has instilled. We doubt our own faith. And so what happens is we fall, we falter, we fall away. And for the first time in our lives, sometimes when we hit that first really shaky moment, we doubt that he even exists. We have to strengthen our hearts. We have to be prepared because we know that the storm is going to come. It's not a surprise when the storm comes. What's a surprise to some people outside but really is not even a surprise to you is how you react in the storm, how your faith crumbles or how quickly it crumbles when the storm comes. What was happening in the church, what James saw right away is there was all this tribulation that was happening in the church, and the church's foundation was crumbling. They were running scared. It's the same thing that happens in our own life. When we have a weak heart, when our faith is weak, that first little bump in the road, that tidal wave that comes our, in our path, annihilates us. And then we scream at God and say, where are you? Why aren't you listening? Why aren't you doing anything? Fix it, and fix it now, or I'm gone. I have a friend that was going into the ministry. He actually went to Anderson to go to college. And his goal, he thought what God told him was is he was going to go to Anderson and find a wife and get married and get a ministry. And he went to Anderson, and he went all the way through Bible college, and he never got married. And he moved back to Dayton, never took a church, never took a ministry, has done nothing with his ministry degree. He right now still, to this day, works at Kodak, does nothing. Told me one day that God doesn't exist because he didn't fulfill his promise to me in college. And we look at examples like that, and we say, that is crazy. But it's really, we, we've heard the story before. And if we're honest with ourselves, we've thought the thoughts before. If God doesn't fix my situation, my problem, then I will doubt. My foundation does shake. And that's why James is saying, strengthen your heart. Get deep in the Word. Understand and prepare yourself for when that storm is going to come. The third thing James says is, if you read this portion of Scripture, is, and don't complain about your brothers. Don't complain about your sisters. Right? This is the one that really nibbles at our ankles because complaining has become a way of life. Watch this. Do not grumble. Do not complain. What version of the Bible is this? I got to get my King James Bible out. That was the one Paul wrote. I mean, if that Bible was good enough for Jesus, it'd be a... Don't complain? 
toe crumble? Well, I mean, really, I wouldn't call myself a complainer, a grumbler. No, no. I would call myself an observer. I just observe how stupid people act, and then I mention it. You know, I, I, get, I make comments about it. I'm a commentator. Just like people have commentary about sports or the news, I make commentary about how dumb, dumb, dumb people are at times. Yeah, I, I guess you could say I'm, I'm like a newscaster. I simply broadcast to the world, hey, those people are doofuses. Yes, I do. See, I guess you could say I have a ministry to the world. I'm letting the world know about all the goofy things going on so they can avoid them. I mean, really, I'm like the customer service representative. You know, I'm I'm lodging a complaint. Oops, I'm, I'm sorry. I, I'm observing, commentating, and broadcasting the news that you need to change. If somebody doesn't say, hey, you're doing it wrong, how will anybody know to change? Sure, so I made a few comments about my wife's meatloaf. If I don't warn people that it's disgusting, how will they know? And how will she know to change and fix it differently? I mean, really, if I don't let the people at the grocery store know just how slow and absolutely inept they are, how can they, how can they build themselves up to be better? Really, it's constructive criticism. Oh, I mean, um, constructive commentary. I mean, really, I'm a blessing. I help people not be so dumb. I'm not complaining. Am I? Ephesians chapter 4, verse 29 says, Watch the way you talk. Let nothing foul or dirty come out of your mouth. Say only what helps because each word is a gift. Each word is a gift. If we really treated our brothers and sisters in Christ like this verse tells us to, how much better would our relationships in the church be? Instead of being like the dude you just saw in the video and always looking for that thing that you need to tell people that they need to fix in order to be right in your eyes, instead of always looking for something that needs to be changed, something needs to be fixed, Instead, maybe, maybe, just maybe, we jump in and do it. Instead of always waiting for someone else. Now, I can tell them how to do it right, but I don't want to do it. I'm too busy. This is a little more painful. Because complaining is really ingrained in with what we do. Right? Because if you don't complain when somebody has done you wrong, then you are weak and inept. Right? How dare you let somebody walk all over you or do things to you? When our greatest example, the Gospels tell us, hanging from a tree, unrecognizable, because bone and glass and rock have ripped his flesh out. He says to the very people who did it to him, I hope you all die and burn in hell. Right? No. 
That is our example. Father, forgive them. In the midst of this moment, you know, I think sometimes we trivialize that and we don't really realize what he was going through in that moment when he raised his eyes toward heaven and looked at the very people who had just done those things to him and said, Father, forgive them. That's the example that we hold before us. That's the name that we carry as Christians. And so we need to watch how we use our words. And finally, the fourth thing. My favorite part of this is James brings up somebody's name because it is huge. James says, remember Job. When you're in moments of persecution, remember Job. Now, I want to tell you that this is one of my favorite, absolute favorite stories in the Bible. And I think I have preached about Job more than anything else because it applies so well to me, right? Because I am the guy who sat there and went, what did I do wrong, God? Give it all to, I, how, what, how, I must have done something. What, I don't understand, right? God at one point finally answers Job. And it is my favorite portion of Scripture. And I want to read to you some of what God says to Job. He says this, in the midst of, now, we have never been in a storm like Job was going through. Let me throw that out there first. You may think you have had hard times in your life. You, ha you haven't seen like Job has seen, right? I mean, here is a dude, at this very moment, his flesh is completely nasty. He's in pain. His family is dead. His sheep, cattle, everything gone. He was once rich, wealthy, and had a boatload of family, and now it is all gone. And if that wasn't bad enough, then the devil started to really hurt him, right? So here he is sitting. The Bible tells us couldn't even sit on his rear end because it was so blistered and hurt so bad. And he is yelled at yelled out to God finally one final time, and God says this, and I love it. God says he answered Job from the eye of a violent storm and says this. Why do you confuse the issue? Why do you talk without knowing what you're talking about? Pull yourself together, Job. Get up on your feet. Stand tall, because now I have questions for you. I don't know about you, but if I was Job, it is at this moment that I am peeing myself. Because you know, when God's got questions for you and he tells you to get up and pull up your loincloth and get ready because it's coming, he looks at Job, I have some questions for you and I want some straight answers. Here are just a few of the questions. If you've never read this, it begins in Job chapter 38. I want you to get in there and read it because it is amazing. But here's a few of the questions that God asks Job. Where were you when I created the earth? Who decided on its size? Job, who came up with the blueprints and the measurements? How was its foundation poured, Job? And who set the cornerstone? while the morning stars sang in chorus and all the angels shouted praise. Who took charge of the ocean, Job, when it gushed forth like a baby from the womb? Do you know 
the first thing about death? Do you have one clue regarding death's dark mysteries? Do you know where the light comes from and where darkness lives so that you can take them by the hand and lead them home when they get lost? Job, have you ever traveled to where snow is made? Have you ever seen the vault where hail is stockpiled? Job, can you get the attention of the clouds and commission a shower of rain? Job, can you take charge of the lightning bolts and have them report to you for orders? Can you teach the lioness to stalk her prey and satisfy the appetite of her cubs as they crouch in their den waiting hungrily in their cave? And James chapter 42 says that God looks at Job and he says, do you presume to tell me what I'm doing wrong? Are you calling me a sinner so that you can be a saint? Job, do you have an arm like my arm? Can you shout in thunder the way that I can? Go ahead, Job. Show your stuff. Let's see what you're made of, what you can do. Go ahead, Job. Outleash or unleash your outrage. Target the arrogant and lay them flat. Target the arrogant and bring them to their knees. Stop the wicked in their tracks. Make mincemeat of them, Job. Dig a mass grave and dump them in it. Faceless corpse in an unmarked grave. And Job, I'll gladly step aside. And I'll hand everything over to you. Because you can surely save yourself with no help from me. Ouch! Right? And I'm just reading you a little bit of it. Job answers God and says, simply, I am convinced that you can do anything and everything. <laughs> well, yeah. Job says, nothing and no one can upset your plans. You asked, who is this muddying the water, arrogantly confusing the issue, second-guessing my purposes? And I admit it, God, I was the one. I babbled on about things far beyond me. I made small talk about wonders way over my head. You told me, listen and let me do the talking. Let me ask the questions. You give the answers. And I admit I once lived by rumors of you. And now I have it firsthand for my eyes and my ears. I'm sorry, forgive me, and I'll never do it again. I promise I'll never again live on the crusts of hearsay and the crumbs on rumors. What happens and what fails us is we forget about God. What James was saying is the fourth thing that you need to do is remember God. Remember who it is that you serve and remember what it is that he can do. Because you live on the crumbs and the crust of what other people tell you that God has done in their lives. And so you have this crumbling of faith whenever something happens. And what James is saying is, like Job, remember what God has done in your life. You don't need the crust. 
You don't need the crumbs. You don't need the hearsay. I've told you firsthand. I've showed you firsthand. So why is it now that you doubt me? If you think you can do it better on your own, bye-bye. Remember what I have done firsthand in your life. And when you go through these situations, when you hit these problems, when crisis smacks you in the face, when your foundation starts to shake, remember who I am, God says. Remember it is I that's laid the foundation of where you stand. And I will be here to hold you when you fall. What a promise. The Bible tells us in the very last two verses of Job, that Job lived on for another 140 years, living to see his children and grandchildren four generations worth. And then he died, but he was an old man full of life. Job understood that God is who will bring him out of the storm. It wasn't God's fault that he was there, but it was God who would redeem him. That is what we must hold on to. In order to persevere in our struggles, we have to first be patient. Second, strengthen our hearts, prepare ourselves for the storm. The third thing that we have to do is, oh yeah, don't complain about your brothers. That's a hard one. I'm not going to lie to you. That's a hard one. And finally, remember God. Remember God. As Holly and the band come back up, I want to challenge you to do one thing. I want to challenge you to really think about how we are during storms. How we cope with troubles. And if we fall into any of these four things, if there's things in our life that just get into way with that, if I can't be patient, if I do blame God right away because I have a weak heart, if I start snipping at the heels of the people who are around me who are really just trying to help me, then I have things in my life that I really need to take care of. If you're going through a storm today, I want to pray with you. If you're going through a difficult moment, I want to pray with you. So what I'm going to ask you to do, I know we just have this little church and half of us are up here leading worship right now, but if you're going through a storm, I want you just to come up front and I want to pray with you. I'm going to ask Jeff and Brett, Dave, you know, whoever wants to, to come up and to pray with you as well. We, we just want to be there for you. So I'm going to ask you right now, if you are going through a storm, if you need to be prayed for, if you need to know that God is right there with you, we want to be the brothers and sisters in Christ who don't complain, but who pray right there with you. So as we sing this next song, if you want to be prayed for, just come up to this front row and and have a seat, and, and we'll come on down and pray with you.